At least I didn't get it Sunday morning. That did happen one time. He did give me a bit of warning. Uh, shall we take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9? The Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Look at verses 14 to 29. Now, title of the sermon, What Went Wrong? All shall be clear, I hope. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for your love and grace. And Lord, we thank you for that we, uh, you are a holy God who is true and we can trust you. A God who is almighty and all-powerful. We pray for the pastor and his family that you will lay your healing hand upon them. And guide us in this study, we pray, as we look in your word and speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Came across the story. The gentleman's name was James. He was 17. He was in vet school. And he'd had some practical, hard experience for six months. He'd treated cows, horses, pigs, dogs, cats. He'd been in the stables. And, uh, of course, you know what's on the stable floor in it and covered with it, helping different animals give birth. It had been hard work, but he'd uh, had the thrill of the new life. And uh, yet the back of his mind he wondered, I know so much, but am I missing something? One afternoon he'd had his first class in animal husbandry, you know, management and care of animals. And this was the real thing. Now this is the real stuff now. Uh, his professor had hung up a life-size picture of a horse and had gone through all the different parts of the horse. And he was excited. Now he knew horses. Well, that lecture spinning in his head, he's walking down the street. And in front of the library, guess what he sees? It's in Scotland, by the way, and I'm not going to try to put on a, a Scottish brogue. <laughs> um, he saw something from a bygone era a horse and with a coal cart with a horse. Now this was a real live horse. It wasn't much of a horse, it was just a big horse, but it was a horse, breathing and, and living. So he walks around and looks at the horse, and uh, by the way, he'd also gone out and bought some fancy new riding clothes. Belts and buckles that are slapping against his legs as he describes it. So he looks at this horse and he walks around and then to find the different parts. You know, he knew horses now. And uh, so he walked around. He felt so expert. But he looked at the horse. The horse seemed so bored. He felt sorry for the thing. So he thought, well, I'll just communicate with the horse. Give it a pat. So he quickly steps forward and reaches his hand out to give him a pat on the neck. Well, guess what the horse does? He reaches down and clamp with his teeth and picks him up. So there he is, hanging like a puppet. He wriggles and twists and... All he does is just get himself choking with his fancy new clothes. Well, nobody else has been paying attention to the horse, but now he's the center of attention. And he's getting all sorts of conflicting advice. And in the meantime, the horse has laid his ears back. He's making threatening noises. Things don't look too good. And uh, he's, uh, <clears throat> this is going on for a while. And finally, a small man comes out of the crowd. 
and he is not happy. He's the opposite of happy, the opposite of sad. He's angry. He yells something at the horse to drop him. The horse just hangs on. So he walks over to the horse. He knows his horse. He takes his thumb and in the horse's belly. You know what the horse does? James gets dropped. Boom. Well, he manages to get his wind back, gets up, and he kind of tries to slink away. And as he's slinking away, the gentleman shouts after him, says, don't meddle with things you don't know anything about. Well, he wasn't put off. He did eventually go on and become a famous veterinarian. You may have heard of James Harriet and all creatures great and small. That's this gentleman. Well, as I think of that story, that's a little bit like what we have today. The disciples fall into that trap. I think they know, or that they think they've really got the technique down. And then they meet a problem, and they don't know how to handle it. And we look at, <clears throat> you know, but to set the scene, look with me uh, very quickly. We'll look at Mark 9 in just a moment. Back in chapter 6 of Mark, verse 7. This is the Lord Jesus. He called unto the twelve. And he began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over, what? Unclean spirits. And... Uh, and then he goes on and does that. Verse 30 describes how they come back and they tell the Lord all the things they had done. And uh, they're excited. They've, they've had some success. It's worked. And now a situation arises. The situation is the Lord had taken Peter, James, and John and had gone up into the Mount of Transfiguration, possibly Mount Hermon. Nine had been left, and a problem comes with them. Let's look at, uh, so you have a problem, and then we're going to have, well, well, first let's look at the problem. Uh, verse 14 of chapter 9. And when he came to his disciples, this is the Lord Jesus, he saw a great multitude about them, and scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now let's get the situation here. The Lord, Peter, James, and John are coming down off the mountain. And as they're coming down, they see a group around the nine disciples and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> some scribes. And he can tell and hear there's a real vigorous debate going on. There's probably some loud talking going back and forth. And of course the people are shocked to see him walk it up just about that time. I mean, talk about being the right time. So, he comes up and he asks, wait a minute, who are the scribes? When we think of a scribe, you think of somebody who writes, right? But these were people more, more than just somebody who wrote, more than a stenographer or a secretary. They copied the scriptures. They were highly educated. The equivalent today, the doctors of the law. 
They were well-respected in their community religiously. They were religious leaders. And they didn't like the Lord. The Lord said he was the Messiah. And they said, uh-uh. So when they were asking questions, what was their motive? It wasn't to get information. They were out to discredit. And here's a situation. The disciples are presented with a problem. And they're, they're not working. Well, that is, what are, the, what are the, they're jumping in? This is my opportunity. Politicians know when there's a weakness, what do they do? They are doing the very political thing when you're in opposition or whatever. They are asking questions, but it's not a question for information because they think we've got them now to show this thing doesn't work and so forth. So this is going on with them. Well, what's the situation? The Lord says, well, what are you debating about? What are you arguing about? What's going on? And before any of them or the disciples answer, a man from the crowd speaks up. And he says, Master, this is Master in the sense, you know, like a schoolmaster? That's the thought of this Master, the teacher. Uh, master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Now notice the description that he describes. He teareth him, he foameth, and so forth. You know what that is? That's convulsions, foaming. It's all the symptoms today of what we call epilepsy. And, but it's more than just a medical condition. The father knows something about this. It's not just a medical thing. There is demonic power behind him. And he says, I brought him to your disciples. He brought him in faith that he could get a solution. But it got none. From Luke 9, we learned this was his only son. I'd like you to think, how did that man feel? He came with hope. He came desiring to have his son taken care of, and this thing taken care of. And the disciples, the nine who were left, couldn't do a thing. And I can feel the frustration of the disciples the frustration and the aching of them at the Father and the glee of the scribes. All that's mingling in. There's a lot of emotion going on around with this about this time. Well, now look at verses 17 and 18. All right, I did that. Let's see. Let me look at this. And uh, 19 to 24. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground, wallowing, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it? ago since this came unto him and he said of a child oft times it cast him into the fire 
and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible unto him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Now as I look at this statement in verse 19, have you ever been exasperated? Does that look, you know, when the Lord says, I can almost, can you almost feel the exasperation in his words? The emotion? How long am I going to have to put up with you? Is the Lord just exasperated? What is he doing? Well, I think we get a clue over in chapter 8, verse 17. The situation is here. They, the, the Lord had said, let's cross the Sea of Galilee. And somebody forgot to take food. And uh, so in the midst of this, when they become aware of it, uh, the Lord says, verse 15, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples have on their mind, We don't have any bread. We don't have any food. And you know what they do? They start arguing. You forgot it. No, you forgot it. You forgot it. So this argument in the boat's going on. The Lord said, and the Lord knew it, and he saith unto them, verse 17, Why reason ye because ye have no bread? Perceive ye yet not, uh, not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Says, don't you understand? Um, verse 21, he saith unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? So when the Lord said, Oh, Faithless generation. What is he saying is the problem? He says the problem here is a problem of faith. A problem of belief. And I find it interesting as we work through this. Because there's two sets of unbelief. Not just one. And uh, it's, it's a fascinating situation. Well, the Lord is saying, I'm tired of this unbelief. Tired of not understanding. Now let's see how this works out. He says, bring him to me. And of course, when we come down to verse 20, is the spirit happy to be there? And he throws a fit. A big fit. I mean, the, the, the boy, and I don't know how old he was, but he, he falls on the ground, and it's one, it's one massive convulsion fit. And I think there's probably screaming with it as well. And of course that attracts attention. It looks like the Lord had drawn away because it says the people began running together. And so I get the picture. Here is this boy, demon possessed boy, convulsing and foaming at the mouth on the ground. The Lord asks a question. How long ago has this happened? How long has this been going on? This is for a child. And in our text here, he adds something he didn't say before. You notice what he says. It isn't just convulsions. It isn't just sometimes, and they never knew when it would attack. But he said, he, throws him, he tries to throw them into the fire. He tries to throw them into the water to, to drown him. I mean, can you imagine, moms and dads, you can appreciate this. 
They were exhausted just watching the boy to keep him out of trouble, out of harm's way. And he then says, if thou canst believe, I'm sorry, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, as I said, I want to stop there for a moment. When the man says that, do you feel his emotion? I do. I sense how the agony the man felt. But the Lord then says something which at first seems almost cold-hearted. Notice how the Lord answers. He says, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Why did the Lord suddenly say that? See, the man had said something. The Lord picked up on it. He said, if thou canst do anything. I, he's, he came hoping that there would be a solution. And what he got, now his hope is getting pretty low. His faith has shrunk to a grain of mustard seed. And it's a very small grain. There isn't much faith there, and it's shrinking. So he says, I don't know if you can do it. They couldn't do it. I don't know if you can do it. So when the Lord says, what, he, what is the Lord saying? If thou canst believe, all things are possible. What is he saying? He says, are you questioning if I have ability? It's not the ability whether I can do it or not. It's the matter of faith. What the Lord was doing, he, you know, for an outsider, we might have, he might have thought, this man's questioning God's ability. But the Lord saw something else. He wanted to bring out something else that the man had. The man did have faith. It wasn't much, but he did have faith. And what the Lord was doing was working with the man to bring out that it was a matter of belief and faith in God's ability. What does the man say? With tears. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. What is he saying? Lord, I do have faith, but Lord, it's awfully small. There isn't a whole lot here, and I recognize that. He is honest with the Lord how he feels. Well, then, uh, verse 25, the people are running together, so he rebukes the foul spirit. And so what does the Lord do? He says, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter him no more. Now, the man would have liked to hear that, wouldn't you? Not only come out, but as a permanent cure. He's not going to face this again. There's been relief. He has found what he had come to find. But notice the next verse. Suddenly things get worse. Because the, the demon really, uh, verse 26, the demon cried and rent him sore. I mean, he was wallowing already, but this was a real shriek. This was the granddaddy of them all. And then the boy is absolutely still. The people look at the boy. And he says, he's dead. I mean, after a shriek like that and all that, he says, he's dead. 
killed him. But they spoke too soon. What did the Lord do? He reaches down his hand, grabs the boy's hand, and lifts him up and restores him to his dad. Look at that. Here is a man, a father who came in faith. His faith got challenged big time. The nine disciples left, couldn't do a thing. Then the Lord comes. And at this time, he thinks maybe it's just too big to handle. You and I, would, I can understand how he feels. It's very easy for, for any of us at times like that. He says, Lord, I don't know if you can do anything, but have compassion. I need some help, Lord. And then the Lord says, if I believe, if, thou, if I can, sir, it's not a question of if I can. It's not my ability, it's a question of your faith. And the man says, Lord, I've got faith, but there isn't a lot. But I've got a little bit of faith. I need your help to continue believing. You know what the Lord does? In his mercy, in his grace, he accepts that little bit of faith. He doesn't ask for more that the man doesn't have. He accepts that grain of mustard seed. And he heals the boy. But there is another problem. There is another situation. We've had the problem. We've had, you could say, the, uh, let me look at the notes here. The reason for the problem, it's a matter of faith. But we still have the situation the disciples couldn't do it. Why couldn't they do it? And when the Lord walked up, he said, Oh, faithless generation. How long shall I, I'll put it in my lingo, how long do I have to put up with you? How long do I have to endure you? Now look at verses 25 to 29. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, uh, I read this already, yep. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, um, Come out of him and enter no more. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead in so much they said he was dead. Verse, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Now here's what I want. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. The disciples ask a legitimate question. Lord, where did we go wrong? We thought we had the technique down. And then the Lord says, you know, this thing cometh out except by prayer and fasting. Over in Matthew 19, he adds, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. You know, let's say, think about this. What is the Lord saying? Praying. Now, when, when the Lord healed the boy, did he stop and pray? He didn't at that time, did he? He talked to the father. He talked to the spirit. He raised the boy. So where is the Lord's prayer? Pray. Well, as I think back, uh, in Matthew 6.33, part of the Lord's prayer, the pattern prayer is, Deliver us from evil. 
uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is going to be later on, what did he tell the, th the disciples? Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And you can follow through. The Lord had a regular time of prayer. And as you go follow through, when the Lord was praying, what were the disciples doing? They were sleeping. And, uh, and then in this, the Lord adds in Matthew 17, a grain of mustard seed. Now I find this ironic. The disciples had faith, but they're growing and they're learning. They're students. And the man, he recognized he didn't have, he had just a little bit of faith. You know what I think the disciples, they were a bit like this James, James Harriet. He, they thought they had the technique, but it's rather, it's not their technique that brings the victory. It's their faith in God. It's God's power, God working through them. And how do they show their dependence on it? By regular prayer. They hadn't been doing it. And they would learn. Uh, you know, years ago, I remember hearing a well-known preacher, and I've forgotten his name by now. Uh, and, he was, and I enjoyed his preaching. But then later I heard he'd had to leave the ministry. And, of course, you ask, why? And as I got the report back, it was something like this. He said, I, met, I was spending so much time ministering on others, I forgot to minister to myself. You know, as I think about the disciples, this is, in this situation, you have, there's not a lot of faith going around. The one who has a little bit of faith is the one who recognizes it and says to the Lord, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. The disciples were saying, what did we do wrong? When the Lord had said, oh, faithless generation, he was trying to teach the disciples, it's a matter of, not of technique, it's a matter of faith. Because I think about faith, somebody said there's, uh, in fact it was Moody apparently, he said there's three kinds of faith. One faith is you're in the water swimming desperately, but you are afloat, but barely. The other one, you're hanging, hanging to the side of the boat. The third kind of faith, you're resting in the boat. You know, and all of us will go through those kinds of faith in our Christian life. At times, faith We'll just be resting in the boat. Other times, we're going to be clinging on. Other times, there's no boat around that we can see. But there is faith. The man, you could say, was in the water struggling. But he found rest. He found peace. As I think about faith, uh, look with me at Romans 10, 17. So then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now sometimes we get the idea of faith is where I'll reason it up so far, and when I can't reason it any further, I just take a leap of faith. I don't have anything to base it on, I just take a leap of faith. Is that faith? No. Faith is a trust in fact in truth, 
built from the Word of God. And that's the kind of faith that we get. How? By regular study of the Word of God, by regular prayer. That's how we show our dependence on God. And when the time of storm comes, you could say we've got a, we've, we've kept the powder dry. We've got what we need to help us through the times of joy and the times when there's not a boat in sight and our faith is as a grain of mustard seed. I know this encourages me. When times in the Christian life we may be struggling in our faith, you know what God asks us to do? Like the Father, believe and trust. And he says, I will accept the faith as a grain of mustard seed. That's an encouragement. I don't have to be resting in the boat all the time. There are times when I'm either clinging or the boat is just, it's not in sight. But trust in God. Hang on to him. And keep a regular time with the Lord. And will help us through the difficult times in life. And uh, then, of course, there's one other important aspect of faith. When we know we're under God's judgment because of our sin, and we have not trusted Christ as Savior, what do we need to do then? Just as I am, O Lamb of God, I come. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. What was wrong? It was a matter of faith, not technique. Stay in the word. Stay regular with the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for the truth of the word of God. For the example of this man who cried, Lord, I believe. And the disciples had learned from this, we know, because they went on to be successful in serving you. And that just challenges us, Lord, to rely on you working through us in wherever you've placed us in your harvest field. In Jesus' name.